So this morning we're going to look at this text, but like I said, we're going to go through many texts here this morning. And if you recall last week, I said we're going to focus on that last part of that verse where it says, Paul says, I've handed them over to Satan. There in Ephesus, some men were teaching falsely. They had departed from the true biblical gospel. These men would not repent. They were hard-hearted. They would not hear any correction. And so Paul does what he has to do. He hands them over to Satan. And he says the reason so that they may learn not to blaspheme. It's in hopes that these men would be restored. This is what our focus will be. And so what's this statement mean to be handed over to Satan? In short, it is to be excommunicated from the body of Christ. That is to take them out of the fellowship of God's people and place them back in to Satan's kingdom. To go from the people of God to the people of this world. To be handed over to Satan is to be disciplined by the church and in a larger scale by God himself. So before we can understand church discipline, which will really be our study, we must take a step back and look at the bigger picture of the church. First off, Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the conquering King that is to come. Scripture says He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the preeminent God-man. He is truly the foremost. We do, not, we do not make Him Lord. He is Lord. And He is the head of the church. And He has given clear instruction to His church. Yes, we are His church. This, this isn't about us. This isn't our self-help center. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And we come as His church. We are not our own. We are those who have been bought with a price. We're not here for ourselves. It is for His glory that we come together to worship Him. And Christ has given clear commands to the church, clear instructions to the church. And we see in our day many who have ignored the instructions of Jesus Christ. Across our land, we see liberal churches. We see apostate churches. We see churches that have left behind the Christian church. And they really f fill our land this day, in this day that we live. They have made it evident that they care nothing for the commands of Christ. They care nothing about His Word. And we see by their actions that they truly have left the faith. They are apostate. We see this play out in many ways. Some churches are very worldly. They, you call them seeker-sensitive. Those are the churches that have made their buildings look worldly. They've brought the world inside of the church and they've watered down the gospel message so it's even barely there. There's no focus on Christ. There's no focus on holiness. There's no focus on sanctification. You won't hear the word repent in the services. You won't hear about sin. They've really become self-help centers where they attract the people, they attract unbelievers, and they come there to hear the positive message so that they can receive their best life now. Others have flat out denied the truth of Scripture. They've tolerated the sins of the world. Other churches have gone so far to not only accept those sins, but to praise those sins that the church historic has seen as sins that Christ Jesus had to die for. Many other churches have departed from the faith by teaching what is false. Instead of what we see here in this text where false teachers should be removed from the body of Christ, instead what we see in this day is that they are glorified. 
They are given such a platform to spew lies from the pit of hell to lead many and many and many astray. It is truly a tragedy in our land how many preach lies rather than the biblical gospel. And so while we look around the landscape and we might call them churches, they've really become gatherings of people that have no clue of what biblical Christianity is. And Christ himself would not call them churches. The lampstand has been removed far long ago. But he would call them to repentance. He would call them to turn back. He would call them back to the biblical gospel. He would call them to once again stand firm on His truth. In the book of Revelation, we actually see some churches there that were at the brink of leaving behind the Christian faith. Christ comes to John, the book of Revelation, and He has words for seven churches there. Letters to seven churches. Two are faithful and five are not. And he has words against those five, against his own church. Jesus Christ has words against them. And it's really for a lack of obedience. It's for a lack of what he has called them to do. Christ has great expectation for holy living in his church and for holy living among his people. And it's plain and simple. It's what scripture teaches. It's what Christ has said. And he is clear that a true biblical church will have obedience to his word. Let's quickly look at those five churches. What were their problems? What was their sin? Ephesus, it says that church had forsaken its first love. They basically had become whitewashed tombs. Pergamum, that church tolerated false teachings. Jesus said that he hated the teachings of the Nicolaitans, but Pergamum had those teachings inside their congregation. Thyatira, the church that had the false prophetess, there we see the sin, the sexual immorality of the pagan temples had been intermingled into the church of Thyatira. Sardis, the church that had fallen asleep. Dead works, no works, they were asleep. Laodicea is the church with the lukewarm faith. What do all these churches have in common? Jesus Christ calls them all to repentance. He calls them all to obedience. He calls them all to repentance. Hear what he says to Ephesus. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the first love you had at first. Remember, therefore, whom, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. To the church of Laodicea, he said... Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So that you can hear the heart of Christ. He he goes to them, he calls them to obedience, he calls them to repentance because he loves the church and he wants them to turn back from their sin. And so he says, so be zealous and repent. Christ calls his church to obedience. And these words are so stern in the book of Revelation. Without repentance, he could no longer call them his church. Without repentance, they could no longer be blessed by him. They would, if they did not hear his words, if they did not heed his warnings, they would go down that path of the apostate, the liberal churches that we have seen in our day that have left the faith. 
The church historic has said that the biblical church has three marks. This is what a biblical church is made up from, and these marks are from Scripture. We see them prescribed in Scripture. We see them commanded of the church in Scripture. One would be the preaching of God's Word. That is not self-help sermons. That's not stories from the pastor's life. That's not his opinions. It's not the worldly wisdom. It is the Word of God preached. The administration of the sacraments, that is, baptism and the Lord's Supper are practiced. And the third mark would be church discipline. This is what Christ has called his church to. And so these are the three things. Three things. So the question is, is this church, is this body going to hear the words of Christ and are we going to be a biblical church? A church that is blessed by the hands of God. A church that has their lampstand burning bright. This is what we must ask of any church that we would attend. Do they preach the word? Do they properly administer communion and baptism? And do they discipline members that are either teaching false lies that could hurt the body or divisive members or those who live in outright sin and will not repent? This is what our head, Jesus Christ, expects of his church. And that third mark is what we're going to focus on here this morning, church discipline. So what is it? And let's see what the Bible says about it. We see two major texts in the scripture about church discipline. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and in Matthew 18. We're going to spend a good amount of time in both of those passages. So if you would like to turn to 1 Corinthians 5, we're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to focus there for a little bit. In 1 Corinthians 5, Verse 1, Paul says this, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. This is what the Apostle Paul says to the church there in Corinth. They are tolerating this sin that not even the world tolerates, that they have this sin in their midst. And what is the sin? It is that a a man, a son of a father, has his father's wife, most likely his stepmom. This is an adulterous and incestuous affair by God's standard. The Apostle Paul says, you are arrogant in verse 2. So they're going on his business. They're acting like nothing is wrong. They're saying, look at what God is doing here in Corinth. Look at how he's blessing us. And yet they have this sin in their camp and they are arrogant about it. But what's Paul say? You ought to mourn. Ought you not to mourn instead? Shouldn't you be grieved by this man's sin? Shouldn't you see the destruction that awaits him? But they are arrogant. And he says, let him who has done this be removed from among you. He goes on to say that though absent in body, I am present in spirit. As if I was present. I've already pronounced judgment on the one who has done such things. Paul is saying clearly here, he has judged this sexually immoral behavior as evil and the church should not tolerate it. In verse 4 he says, when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, He says, when you are assembled under the authority of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, with my spirit present and the power of the Lord 
Jesus. We'll see in Matthew 18 this concept even come further to light. But what we see here is the church is to come together in the name of the Lord. This is Christ's desire for the body of, for his body. And when they come, it is his power, it is his authority that they deliver this man to Satan. That's what it says in verse 5. You are to deliver this man for Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So delivered to Satan. We've already talked about what that means. He's literally being taken out of God's kingdom. Christ's realm is his church, and he's being removed from the church. He's being thrown back into the world where Satan rules. And Paul says, for the destruction of the flesh. This is important. For the destruction of the flesh. He speaks of this, the consequences of this man's sin. As he's removed from the body of Christ, he will face calamity and hardship for one single purpose. That is to crush him in his pride. To bring him to repentance so that he would see his sin. He would see the destructive path that he was on and that he would turn again, turn back to the Lord in faith and be saved on the day of the Lord. And so you see here what it is about, what this church discipline is about is the hopes that a brother who is in sin, a sister who is in sin, that they would be turned over to Satan out of love for them. That they would see their sin, that they would repent, and that they would turn again, once again, to the Lord and be saved. This was the hope of the Apostle Paul. In verse 6, he says, your boasting is not good. Again, they're going on as if nothing is wrong. They're arrogant. And he says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He's saying that sin spreads throughout the body of Christ. He says that if you just let this go on, if you give license to sin, that this leaven, it's going to leaven the whole lump. It's going to spread like gangrene. So undisciplined, unrepentant sin in the church, it spreads. And they were arrogant. And they thought they could just tolerate this. That they should be humble and they should realize that this is a big deal to God. This is a big deal. He says in verse 11, But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality. So he's recalling that brother who, who bears that name. He's guilty of sexual immorality. He goes on to say greed or idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. Eating in the first century was a little bit different than now. It was, it was a sign of deep, intimate fellowship if you were to welcome somebody into your house and eat with them. And so the Apostle Paul says, if you have this intimate fellowship with this person that's bearing the name of Christ, you are affirming them in, your, in their sin. And he's saying, don't do that. When we affirm people that are lost in sin, in their sin, it is a destructive thing to their soul. In verse 12, he says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? He's saying, I'm not judging the world we shouldn't be surprised when the world sins, when the world acts lost, because they are lost. And they're dead in their trespasses and sin. And so Paul's saying, this is not for the world. I'm not judging the outsiders, but it's for those who are inside the church 
that you are to judge. And he says, God judges those outside, but for the church, they are to purge this evil person from among you. Now, as you hear this, this could be coming a bit of a shock because, like I said, the American church has lost this teaching as a whole, and it is really non-existent. And I want to tell you, this is not the only case from the New Testament. It's everywhere in it. First Timothy, right here, we see that men were removed for teaching lies and forsaking the gospel. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they dropped dead for lying. They were disciplined by God for lying to the Holy Spirit. They lost their lives on the spot. In 2 Thessalonians 3.14, Paul wrote that letter there. There were some busybodies there. There were those who were going from house to house and creating division. And he says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of this person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. In Titus 3.10, there was divisive people in that church. And he says, as for the person who stirs up division, a factious person, after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him. 1 Timothy, further on in this book, it says, as for those who persist in sin, they will not repent of sin. Rebuke Rebuke them in the presence of all so that they may stand in fear. Ephesians 5.3 says, Of sexual immorality, of impurity, of covetousness, must not even be named among you as proper among the saints. In Romans 16.17, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. And perhaps the most important text about church discipline in all of the scripture is Matthew 18. So if you'd like to turn there, we're going to spend some more time there. We'll be starting there in verse 15. Matthew 18, verse 15. Let's look at that text together. There, Jesus, this is Jesus Christ, he says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. So this is a private sin at this point in time. Your brother or your sister has sinned against you. And it is to be between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So this should be the desire, this is the desire of Christ to see the brother restored. This is the hope of Christ. This is why he gives these commands. This is why he calls us to do this, to do this with love and gentleness and hopes that uh, someone that is walking according to the ways of the world, that is literally walking away from the faith, that we would go to them and that they would hear us and that they would repent and that we would have gained our brother, that the brother or sister would be restored. Because Christ doesn't want us to live in our sin. He wants us to repent of it. He has called us to holiness, to not walk according to the world. And so the one who goes to the brother or sister in sin should have this same desire of Jesus Christ to see them restored. And really, if you can't do that, then don't go to them. If you can't have a desire to see your brother or sister restored to the Lord, then don't go. And you need to get your own heart right with God. Matthew 18, 16 says, But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. 
So Christ says he, he's hard-hearted, he's not listening, he's, he's being defensive. Now, now take some others with you. Take two or three witnesses. And this really calls back to the law, to Deuteronomy, where God makes it clear that every accusation must be substantiated by two or three witnesses. And this is what Christ is calling us to. We can't just go off of any kind of rumor that it must be substantiated by two or three witnesses. And that the church is to carry out, it's also judge. This is the work of judgment. This is judicial. He's also telling us that this is carrying out God's judgment on the one who will not repent here on earth. It's literally carrying out what God has already decreed in heaven. In Matthew 18, 17, he says, if he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. And so after one time, two more people, three more people have come to him or her, they're not hearing it. They're hardened in their sin. And so what's Christ says? He says, tell the sin to the church. That seems pretty extreme, right? Make this sin public. Tell it to the church. We're like, whoa. Why? Why so extreme? Well, because sin is extreme. Jesus Christ himself said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's much better to go into heaven lame than to spend an eternity in hell. And so Christ is willing for your sin to become public if that's what it takes for you to turn away from it. And really, that you may have a whole body of Christ pleading and desiring for you to turn away. Because that person's very soul is in trouble. Jesus goes on to say, and if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. The Gentile and a tax collector. So a tax collector was basically the chief of sinners of that day. They were considered the social pariah, the bottom of the barrel. A Gentile would have been saying, like our word, worldly. To say that they were a Gentile would say they were outside of the faith. Jesus is basically saying, hand this person over to Satan. They are now of the world. Treat them as an unbeliever. You can no longer see them as a brother or sister in Jesus Christ. We must now treat them as if they are an unbeliever. It's so one who has professed Jesus, but he's shown by their life that they don't know him. Now, in saying that, we, we have to remember that, we, yes, we are saved by grace. It is only by grace. It is only by the work of Christ. It is nothing that we can do. It is purely by his perfect work on the cross. That statement is absolutely true that Jesus Christ paid it all. And we receive that payment through our faith in Christ. It is by no work. But Scripture is so clear that everyone who is saved, everyone who is born again will produce fruit in their life and we will see a changing in them from one degree of glory to the next. They have new affections, new desires. They walk in a newness of life. And so the very fact that this person is showing with their life, they care nothing about the cross, they care nothing about the grace of God, they are hard-hearted and they love their sin. And so Christ is saying, if you've gone to them repeatedly, graciously, in love, with gentleness, constantly, over and over again, you've had the whole entire church asking them, pleading them to please turn away from this sin, then you have no choice 
but to treat them as an unbeliever. The church now must remove them from the close fellowship of the body. Again, it's not because we are mean. It's because we have hope that in doing so, having so many people come to them, having so many people asking them to turn away from this destruction, that they would be once again restored to the kingdom of God. Please hear me on this. Church discipline is love for your brother. It is not mean. It is not harsh. It is love for your brother. Well, maybe it is harsh, but sometimes things have to get harsh so that we will wake up and see our sin in order to be restored. And what we'll see, what we see in Scripture is people respond to this being turned over to Satan in two types of way. We see Job. He was handed over to Satan. We see Peter. He was handed over to Satan. These men were restored to Christ. We see that that difficult situation that they went through, it was for their good. It brought them closer to God. It was something that restored their faith, and they praised him all the more. But we also see that it can lead to destruction in someone's life. And we see that from King Saul in the Old Testament, and we see that from Judas in the New Testament. Both people professed a belief in God. Both people, Judas himself, walked with Christ, would have called himself a Christian. But then we see that he is turned over to Satan, and his end is destruction. And 1 John 2.19 says that we will know this. By the way that they react to the discipline, we'll see what type of person they will be. It says there that they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it may, be, it may become plain that they are not of us. And so this is in hopes that they don't leave, that they don't go out from us, but that they would come and be restored to Christ. Verse 18, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's basically telling these men that the church has the keys to the kingdom. That is the local church. That is that the leaders of the church need to carefully look at the accusations. They need to compare it to Scripture, which is their only authority given to them by Christ himself. And they need to do what Christ has commanded. And they need to make a judgment on whether or not this person can still be considered a Christian, can still be considered a member of their church. And Christ says whatever they bind is bound in heaven, and whatever is loosed is loosed in heaven. It's really what's already taken place in heaven is being seconded by the church. In other words, the church is saying what God has already said about this person. They are showing you the reality of the judgment of God in this person's life. When they won't repent, they show that they have a heart of stone and they will not turn to Christ. Verse 19, he says, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. We've got to remember the context. We're not going to rip this verse out of context. We're going to leave it exactly where Jesus is speaking of. And he's returning. He's speaking of the church in regards to discipline. And he says, if you follow these steps, is in, in, the, in the midst of this very difficult situation where you're going to your brother or sister who is in sin, when you come to me for anything, 
pertaining to this discipline, I will give it to you. So cry out to God in help as you go through this incredibly difficult situation and Christ is there and the Father in heaven will give you what you need. And then he goes on to verse 20, which is often misunderstood. He says there, for when, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And so remember the context. Remember what Christ is talking about. He's talking about the church and he's talking about discipline. So he says, as little as it may be, when they come faithfully together to do what I've asked, to restore someone that has fallen into sin, when they are faithful to the discipline like I have called them to do, when they do it in my name, under my authority, under my word, directed by my word, he says, I will be with them. So he says, church, when you want to be faithful to what I have said, there is no reason to fear. There is no reason to fret. Yes, people are not going to like you for it, but I've called you to do it. And when you come together in my name, under my authority, I am with you to bless you in your obedience. This is what the verse means. And this is what he is calling us to do. So when we are faced with this incredibly difficult situation, and believe me, as a minister, as a pastor, I never want this situation. I want it as far from me as possible. But when it comes and we have to be faithful to what God has said, we can fear not because he is with us as we do his will. And so we see from Scripture that there is a biblical call for church discipline. And it is from Jesus Christ Himself. This is His church. And this is His command. This is what He says. And as we look at this, there are a few things to say. One is, what's this word church mean? We see it in this this text. What's this church? What's this word ekklesia, which is the Greek word? What does it mean? You've heard the phrase... The church isn't the building, it's the people. And that's somewhat true. Some people have used that verse in order not to have to come to church. (laughs) That's not what we mean by saying that. What we mean is that this is the meeting house. This building is the meeting house. This is where the church, the people of God, the elect people of God, that's literally what the word means. It means the gathering of the people of God. This is where the church comes. The people are the church. So that's what the word church means. People of God gathered together corporately to worship God. This is the local church. So on any giving Sunday in this building, what do we have? We have unbelievers. We have believers. We have visitors. We have non-members. We have members. We have all kinds of different people that would come on a Sunday. And so the question must be asked, is this this for all of them? Is Christ calling us to do this for anybody that would walk in our doors? No, he's not. This discipline is really for those who have told us that they are a part of this body. And the people that have told us that they are a part of this body are those who are members of the church. Yes, church membership. It is biblical and it is very important. And that's when you willfully commit to the church that you attend. You know, we see in the book of Acts, whenever someone gets saved, they were added to their numbers. Whenever they got saved, they joined the Apostles' Church, and they, co- they kept track of all who committed to the body of Christ. And so as a church, we do the same thing. 
It is important. We go as far, I would go as far as to say that every single Bible-believing Christian, every single one that calls themselves a Christian should be a member of a local church. That is, you come to the people of God. You come to God's institution, the church, and you say, I want to be a part of it. I officially want to be a part of it. I often compare it to marriage. It's like the I do's of marriage. You're saying, I, I want to be here. I'm committed. I'm no longer shopping around. I'm not going to leave the first time the pastor says something I don't like. The first time he preaches on church discipline, I'm not going to leave. <laughs> I'm coming under the authority of the leadership. I'm going to be held accountable by them. I'm going to willfully submit to them. I'm going to ask them to be the under-shepherds of my soul as they are under-shepherds under the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. And as a pastor, membership is incredibly important because it helps us to see who we are shepherding, who we are teaching, training, discipling, and praying for, and who we will give account for. Hebrews 13.7 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As to those who have to give an account. The pastor is keeping watch over your soul, his member's soul, and he has to give an account to Jesus Christ himself for the members that God has entrusted to him. Paul said earlier that we are not to judge those outside the church. And so this discipline is not for those who are outside the church. So remember that word again. What's church mean? It's the people in the church. And specifically, the only ones that we can know the only ones that we would have the ability to carry out Christ's words are on the members of the church. He said it was for those inside the church. So I've often said that if you are not a member of a local church, it is saying something. You're saying something by your non-membership. I don't know what that is. I can't know your heart, but there's something in your heart that is holding you back. There's something that's keeping you from committing to the body of Christ that you are attending. You are saying something by the fact that you are not a member of a local church. And only you and God know what that is, but I ask that you would make that step. Become a member. Come under, willfully come under the leadership of your church that God has brought you into. Be a member and be numbered among them as they were in the book of Acts. And for no other reason, to have accountability over your soul. You know, in hearing this, you probably might be thinking of what the world would say to this message. They say, judge not. That's their favorite verse in all of Scripture. They take that verse right out of context. They twist Jesus' words and they say, judge not. You can't judge me. But it's really twisting God's word. If we go there to Matthew 7, what's Jesus talking about? He's saying, don't judge hypocritically. He's talking to the Pharisees, those whitewashed tombs, those men that did all the things on the outside right. They did all everything that they were supposed to. They had all those laws and they followed all of them to a T. But what was their hearts like? They were far from God. Inwardly, these men were ravenous wolves. Inwardly, they were dead. Inwardly, they were great sinners. But they thought of themselves to be righteous. And so what Jesus is saying is these so-called righteous man, men pointed their fingers at other sinners and said, I'm not like you. And so what's he say to them? Remove the plank, remove the log. You have a log in your eye, Pharisee. Remove it from your eye. So that way you can see clearly to judge your brother. You can see clearly to go to your brother who is in sin, and you come to him with the right heart. Remember, he says the brother has a speck, 
in his eyes. So then remove the speck. So come to your brother in love. Come saying, I'm a poor beggar that's found bread. I'm a sinner just like you. I have found the Savior. Here is the truth of Jesus Christ. Now turn from your sins and trust in him. This is what Matthew 7 is about. And Jesus himself says in John that we are to judge rightly. And Christ has called his church to hold one another accountable. And it's the world that says, don't judge me. And for me as a Christian, I say, judge me. Look at my life. Examine my life. I desire accountability because I know how sinful I am. I know how easy it is to travel down the road of sin and lie to yourself and become a double-minded man and be enticed by the ways of the world. And so I need a body. I need a church that's willing to stand up, love me enough to tell me about my own sin. And do we love each other enough that when we see someone wandering off into a destructive path, do we have the desire to see them restored? Do we have the desire to love them enough to tell them about the path that they are going on? I desire this accountability. You should too. And so why does church, why does discipline matter? Well, first, it's a clear command from Scripture. This is Christ and His true church will do this. And we know from those stern words of the book of Revelation what happens when we disobey the words of Christ. And if we want to grow, we got this addition going. We want this ministry blessed. We want to reach people with the gospel. We want to see this congregation grow. We must do what Christ has called us to do. Can we really expect to grow? Can we really expect to have a blessed ministry if we are going to ignore the words of our head, Jesus Christ? He is our authority. He is the one that builds His church. And He is the one that said that the gates of hell would not prevail over it. And if we want Him to bless this church, we need to do what He expects us to do. And this isn't perfectly. We're never going to do this perfectly. We never do anything in life perfectly. But God is full of grace, and He'll be gracious to us as we desire to do His will. So here are some reasons for discipline from Nine Marks. As we've seen here in Matthew 18, it's difficulty between members. We also see from the epistles that it's divisive or factious people. They cause division in the church rather than bringing the body together. We also see there from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that that incestuous relationship. We also know there it's sexual immorality, covetous, idolatry, abusive speech, drunkenness, swindling, Idle busybodies who refuse to work and run around spreading dissension. That's what we see in 2 Thessalonians. And then we see here from Titus or Timothy false teaching, that is, erroneous errors and views which concern the core truths of the faith. And so this isn't a secondary matter. We're not, we're not going to call a brother to repentance because he believes something a little bit different than we believe. What Paul is saying when he says that you need to remove the false teacher from you, is the one who has left the Christian faith. He's no longer preaching who God is. He's no longer teaching of the triune God. He's he's twisting the gospel. He says you have to add works to your salvation. He's not saying that Christ is enough. It's clear, damning error. It is clear heresy. And so what is the purpose of church discipline? It is to bring glory to God, first and foremost. God has called us to be a holy people, a holy nation. We see it in the Old Testament. He called Israel out to be his holy nation. And what are they constantly doing? 
They're going back to the world. They're bringing idols in. But he's called them out. And he's called us Christians out to be a holy people for his nation, for his glory. And he says, it's to en- and it's to enhance our testimony. Think of the biggest plague right now against the church in our land. It's because the church doesn't live like they profess. The world calls us all hypocrites. It is the number one thing I hear about the church. It is full of hypocrites. And so what is happening when people say that? Well, what's happening is, is you have a church coming together. They're tolerating sexual immorality. They're tolerating all these things inside their congregation. And then they're pointing their finger to the world. And they're saying, you need to repent. And so what's that look like to the world? That we're Pharisees. That we're hypocrites. That we're not living this message that we profess. But Christ says it's important for us to be a set-apart people for his glory. It's also to produce a healthy faith, one in sound in doctrine. It's to win a soul to Christ if that person that is sinning is only a professing Christian. That is, they haven't been born again. It's to silence false teachers that would come in and lead the flock astray. It's to set an example to the rest of the body that would promote a godly fear. Remember that sin spreading like gangrene? That was the purpose. It's the, one of the purposes to stop sin dead in its tracks with a godly fear. If you think about the book of Acts with Ananias and Sapphira, after they dropped dead, I'm pretty sure no one there lied again to the Holy Spirit. That struck the fear into the people. Seven is to protect the church against destructive consequences that occur when churches fail to carry out church discipline. This is what I was talking about. If we're not going to do things God's way, if we're not going to be a biblical church, then we cannot expect to move forward and to grow for Christ. He blesses churches that are his and that do what he wills. And we see that from the book of Revelation with those two faithful churches. So, this is going a little long. I want to finish up. There are common objections to this. As you preach on it, as you teach on it, undoubtedly people will say, well, we all deserve to be disciplined then because we all have sin. And it seems like I hear that a lot, but I want to strongly refute it. The one who is talked about in Scripture is one who is hard-hearted. He is unrepentant. He loves his sin. He's living in his sin. Now, the heart of a believer should be like, when you approach me about my sin, I want to be that first person in Matthew 18 that can hear your words, repent, and then you have won your brother. No, church discipline is not for everyone because we are all sinners. It's only for those who have such great sin in their life, hard-hearted, high-handed sin that they will not turn from. And they're showing you by their life that they have no love for God, that they have love for their sin, and they're dragging the cross of Christ through the mud. This is the difference. As as Christians, we are all going to sin. And hopefully we love one another to keep us each other accountable. But there's a difference in someone that will receive the correction between a hard-hearted man or woman that will not. So... Another objection is often that we'll lose people. We'll scare people off if we do this. But we have to remember the words of Jesus Christ. He said he would build his church. 
He said that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And we cannot rely on worldly wisdom or even what feels good to us to hope to grow Christ's church. Ben's message last week, who are we relying on to grow the church of Jesus Christ? It's not by our might. It's by the Spirit, says the Lord. We can't, we can't not do what Christ commanded us because we're afraid we are going to scare people off. And we need to remember what he said. When two or three or more are gathered in his name to do what he has asked, he is there with us to bless us. So some might say it's mean, and they might say, well, what about grace? But I'm telling you this is grace, and this is love, and please hear me on this point. And if you have questions about this sermon, come to me, and we'll talk about it, because I know this subject can be really tense for people. But remember that God... He disciplines the son whom he loves. And he has called his church to the same type of loving discipline. And in that that sin there in 1 Corinthians 5, if you go to the Old Testament, that carried the weight of the death penalty. But this man isn't stoned for his sin. He's turned outside of the church, outside of the membership of the church, most likely barred from the Lord's table, in hopes, being handed over to Satan, that this man would repent and be restored to Jesus Christ. Far from being stoned to death, he hit the heart of Paul is to see this man restored to Christ and to be saved and that he would rejoice with him in heaven someday. And I don't know about you, but I will go through whatever consequence is necessary in this life. R.C. Sproul said, if we knew what hell was like, we would crawl through glass to get to Jesus Christ. I would rather have go through discipline a thousand, a million times every day of my life if that meant that I was going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. And that should be our heart's desire also. And we know that if we do this in love, it is for the good of our brother and sister in Christ, not out of spite or mean or some kind of self-righteous pride. It's in hopes that we will get there, that they will get there that their soul may be saved, to see them restored. So lastly, a call to action. A call to this church to be a biblical church. For the love of our brother, for the love of our sister, for the love of the church, for the love of our head, Jesus Christ, we want to do this. We want to do what Christ has asked us to do but it needs to be done with extreme care and caution. Please don't move fastly in this. It needs to be well thought out. So what's that look like for our church? I believe what is biblical is that is a temporary or permanent removal of membership and a temporary removal from the ability to take the Lord's Supper. Because as I said last time I preached, you cannot come in a worthy manner if you are so proud that even the church has told you to repent and you will not repent. So I don't know how you can come humbly to the Lord's table if you are in a place of complete rebellion against God. We live in a day where so many churches have departed from the Christian faith. So many churches have lost the foundation of God's word and what Christ has called them to do. They have gone wayward. They have shipwrecked their faith. 
But if we want to be Christ's church, then we need to do what He wills. To be a church that cares about what He has called us to do, we must do what He says. And this is what He has called us to do, to lovingly discipline those who are in unrepentant sin. So please, pray for our church. Pray that we would do the will of Jesus Christ every single week.